But in so many of those challenges, you're you are on your own. But the cool thing about the Marine Corps is that you never actually finish alone. Because what they teach us is that we always circle back. We always go back for the person behind. I'm going to get emotional when I think about this because that instilled in me the value of I'm, I never want to leave anyone behind. And that shows up in the work that I do. Welcome to Unquestionable with your hosts, Charles Perry Phillips and Sophie Green, where each week we dive into real and raw conversations with experts, creators, thought leaders and CEOs. With our guests, we'll be exploring some of the unquestionable truths behind psychology, mental health and relationships to gain a deeper understanding of human nature. So let's get into today's episode. First of all, thank you so, so much for coming on. Uh, For those people that don't know, Rachel, you are an amazing best-selling author. You're a podcast host. You are an international speaker and you are uh, the writer of the book Permission to Offend. So just to start off, would you mind telling uh, our listeners a little bit about you, about your backstory, your journey and how and how you came to and why you came to write uh, the book? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Every time I hear my intro, I always think, wow, that girl has done a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But in my own waking world, it's very status quo for me. And that actually has a lot to do with my background and what led me to write the book, Permission to Offend. I came from a duality of a background, if you will. So both of my biological parents had AIDS and my biological mother passed away when I was three and a half. And my father... He was dealing with AIDS himself, unbeknownst to me, obviously, as a three-year-old, like, what Mm. would I know? Mm. But he made a decision that for many years, I didn't realize just how difficult it was for him. He chose to give me up to my godmother, who, by the way, is my mom, the only mom I've ever known. So shout out to my mommy, Carmen Santini. I love (laughs) you, mommy. Um, But when that happened... There is something that happens. We begin to tell ourselves stories whenever we experience circumstances or traumas that really force us to question our reality and what's actually happening. I began to tell myself a story that everyone I love leaves me, that I was abandoned, that my father didn't care about me, just stories. Years later, I realized, oh, wait a second. That was a really hard thing that he did. And as I began asking more questions and really learning about the facts of the circumstance, I learned that my mom, Carmen, had asked my father to adopt me multiple times. And one time he actually agreed and they had this agreement to meet up at the county courthouse. Now, back in those days, there were no cell phones. I'm dating myself here, but (laughs) there were no cell phones. So they made a plan to meet. And she went down and my father never showed up. Mm -hmm. So she goes home, she calls and he says, I'm sorry, I just couldn't give her up. Now, to me, he had already given me up a whole decade ago. And now all I wanted was to be adopted. All I wanted was a new last name and a new identity because this man never loved me. Also, not true Mm. because I saw him intermittently throughout my life. You know, he was, he was present, not as present as I wanted him to be not as present as I needed him to be, but he was there. And so you see, my father was telling himself his own story 
And his story was, as long as I don't sign those papers, I never gave up on her. And the story I was telling myself was he gave up on me the minute he gave me away. So with those stories and other layers of trauma that I endured, I um, had multiple eating disorders. Um, I struggled with depression and alcoholism. So compounded with all of these things that life was throwing at me, I grew up feeling very insecure. I had a very low self-esteem and I questioned over and over and over again, who am I and why am I not good enough? By the way, no one that I can recall ever told me you're not good enough, but circumstances in life will make you feel less than. So if I got a low grade, I have ADHD and dyslexia. So I wasn't a great student. Those test scores told me I wasn't good enough. I took dance lessons, but I'm very short. I'm only four feet, 11 inches. So quite petite. And, you know, to be a ballet dancer, you're tall, long line. So that experience told me in my mind, I'm not good enough. And I'm sure anyone listening has their own example of circumstances where you felt less than. And because of those circumstances, we begin to have a thought. And then from there, the thought turns into a meaning and then the meaning becomes a story. And the next thing you know, we're sitting in a dark hole crying, wondering why am I not good enough? Why doesn't anybody <laughs> love me? <laughs> um, I was constantly looking for evidence that I was good enough. I was looking for ways to prove all the stories in my head, true and untrue. And that led me to become a member of the United States Marine Corps. So if we have any American Marines listening, hurrah, but also shout out to um, the British Army because I have served alongside of them when I was stationed in Iraq as well. So on a joint force, uh, joint task force team. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> well, great. I mean, I was, I was searching for meaning. I was searching for purpose. I was searching for identity more than anything. I was searching for identity. And what I've learned over the years is that you don't find that outside. You find that inside because our identity, we take on the roles and responsibilities that we've been assigned or that we've assigned to ourselves as our identity. And there, that's not your identity. That's a role or a responsibility. So mother, daughter, father, uncle, aunt, uh, construction worker, speaker, author, whatever your role is, whatever responsibility, when that gets taken away, then what's left? Mm. Who remains? So all of those questions and, a, and decades worth of discovery led me to writing the book Permission to Offend because what I realized was that there are going to be people that are offended at your existence, I experienced that with my stepmother. My father got remarried and this woman hated me. I, that's not a story I'm telling myself. She really did not like me. She told me. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, she was just offended that I existed because I looked so much like my biological mother and my father never really got over her death. Mm -hmm. And so I served as a reminder of this ghost woman. So that reminded me, you know, people are offended that you exist. People are going to be offended that you dare to have a dream, that you dare to pursue the dream. People will be offended when you do exactly what they ask you to do. 
because you didn't do it the right way. You didn't do it when they wanted you to do it. You did it a, a hair out of square, you know, a little expression. <laughs> and for me, I just realized I'm doing a lot of living for everyone else. And I'm still not meeting their expectation. I'm still failing spectacularly. So what if I shift my perspective? What if I just give myself permission to offend and recognize that people are going to be offended, but if they're willing to have a conversation with me and know my heart and know my mission, and if they're willing to get to a point of understanding with me, and I'm always going to be open to a point of understanding with them, maybe we can create more than we destroy. And that set me on a mission. I'm very compassionate. I'm very empathetic in this work. And I believe that it is a dose that we all need now more than ever. Wow, there's so much to unpick there. I mean, it's an <laughs> incredible story. Um, and I'm just sort of thinking about that idea around us creating our own negative narratives. Like you mm. you did that for yourself because of your the, the various traumas you'd been through and stuff. And I, I'm also interested in the, the idea around the neurodiversity and how that obviously puts us in a position where we feel different. We feel mm -hmm. like outsiders. And I was wondering if, in particular, like joining the military gave you an opportunity to feel less like that. Like be, you could be part of a um, a troop of people that were all kind of pushing in the same direction. You're all doing the same thing and it would give you kind of disciplines and stuff. Was that one of the factors for you joining the military? Honestly, in hindsight, I can say to you like, oh, absolutely. I love being part of the team. But no, and the, the reason that I joined the military was because I, I had something to prove. Mm -hmm. I was trying to prove myself to myself and to the world. Once I was in it, then I realized like, oh, this is what belonging feels like. And it's interesting because I did belong. In my, I had a great peer group in school. I had friends. I never was the outsider, so to speak, but I always felt a little less than, and I can't describe it any other way. I always felt like at any moment they were going to kick me out of the cool kids club, so to speak. Mm. But when I joined the Marine Corps, in particular in boot camp, you know, everyone is doing the exact same thing at the exact same time because they're telling you, OK, put on your shoes, three, two, one, you know, blouse your boot, button your top button, button your second button, button your third. But everything is done. We call it by the numbers. So in that moment, there was a season where I really was in. Mm. Now that goes away. Because then you start doing your physical fitness test and it's just you against you, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you're, you're coming in last <laughs> or first or, or in the middle of the pack. You're coming in wherever you're coming in. But in so many of those challenges, you're, you are on your own. But the cool thing about the Marine Corps is that you never actually finish alone. Because what they teach us is that we always circle back. We always go back for the person behind. I'm going to get emotional when I think about this because that instilled in me the value of I'm, I never want to leave anyone behind. And that shows up in the work that I do where it's so important for me that the people in my community are seen, heard, and understood. And if we don't understand, I make, I just give it my best effort to understand at least where they're coming from, or at least what's shaping 
that that feeling, that thought, that belief. So we never want to leave anyone behind. It's one of the reasons why it's very difficult for me to give up on people. And I think that society gives up on people way too soon. You know, we get canceled like that. Mm -hmm. You say the wrong thing. You're out of here. You you dare to question anything immediately. It's like, oh, that's so offensive. How dare you question? And and the person doing the questioning might even say, I don't even understand what was wrong with the question. I, I genuinely don't understand. And that person will be attacked and critical. How dare you not understand? How dare you be so tone deaf? And we fail to recognize that there are still so many people in this world who are tone deaf, not because they're intentionally choosing to be ignorant, but because they genuinely are ignorant because of the environment from which they come from. Mm. And if we can just show a little more grace, if we can circle back for the person that is like out there struggling and just ask, ask clarifying questions. You know, one of the things I talk about in my book, Permission to Offend, is seek to understand instead of fighting to be understood. Because if we don't share the same belief or the same value, that's okay. I want to understand how did you get there? And if I'm asking you questions, well, how did you get there? What informed that decision? What were you taught? What do you believe? What was your experience? And then you ask me, Rachel, how did you get there? What were your experiences? Now I'm trying to understand you. You're trying to understand me. Nobody is fighting to be right. Nobody is fighting to be understood. There's a much better chance that we're going to find some sort of connective tissue. And I deeply believe that if we're looking for more ways to connect than to divide, we're going to advance better for our current generation and for our future generations. Mm. Oh, man, there's so much there that I absolutely love. I love uh, this idea of, you know, you're, everybody is ignorant until you're not. Um, I've always yeah. believed that as well. And I find it a lot in my own personal individual industry, which is uh, like the sort of conservation um, of the planet and people arguing mm. over the best methods and what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing and which diets you should be eating and stuff like that. The thing is, we we don't know until we know, until we know better. And so, yeah, fighting aggressively against each other isn't really going to fix anything. I mean, your story in particular is so incredible but also so relatable in smaller way you know the micro areas of rejection and abandonment and the negative stories you've told yourself I feel like everyone can relate in some ways because there's those bits where I was sat there thinking oh god I can so relate to that and then there was bits that I thought I bet Giles is relating to this <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's it's incredible um you talk in your book about activating your truth and, and living in your truth. I was just wondering if you could speak on that a little bit more and how one can find their truth and what their truth is and how that's re- related to your identity. Mm. So when we talk about activating our truth, I really deeply believe in introspection mm. and having a genuine curiosity First and foremost, with your relationship with yourself, this is a relationship that is often overlooked and put on the back burner because we're so busy tending to our external relationships because we want to be accepted. We want to be part of the community. And that makes perfect sense. It's really the way our brain has been conditioned from, you know, 
centuries and centuries and centuries of humanity where way back in the day, before we had any kind of technology, we lived in these pods um, or tribes, if you will, or communities, whatever is the right adjective for you to describe those, those pockets. And if we were not part of the community, then what happened? We didn't eat. Mm. And if you didn't eat, you died. So the brain still is thinking, if I'm not part of the community, I'm going to die. So everything I do, it's to be accepted, to know, like it, to be known, liked and trust within the community. So they don't kick me out. And then I get my next meal. So first thing we have to do is remind ourselves, uh, we live in very, very modern times. Like you you're not going to be kicked out. And even if you do get kicked out, there's going to be another crowd that you can find. Right. So that's the first thing I like to remind everyone Mm. is that whatever your truth is, there is someone else on this planet who holds that belief right alongside with you. You are not on an Island by yourself, even though it feels that way. And the reason it feels that way is because of the stories that we're telling ourselves. So First step is to get very curious about what do I believe genuinely, not what I've been taught to believe, but what do I believe? And the example I always give is I'm a woman of faith. I'm a Christian, but I have had so many like countless times in my life where I have really questioned why, like, see, I have a copy of the Bible, right? Like, why do I believe this book? Because there are a lot of crazy stories in this book. Like the guy goes into a whale's stomach. A virgin had a baby. Okay, really, Mary? (laughs) You weren't just playing just a tip with Joseph? Come on. Some of these things don't make sense, right? And so I had to first ask myself, why do I believe this? Well, I believe it because it's what I was taught. Okay, well, let's just make pretend that what I was taught maybe isn't true. If that's taken away, do I still believe this and why? And so I encourage people to question and challenge their beliefs frequently so that you can decide for yourself moment by moment, do I still believe this? And if so, why? Why is this my conviction? And I got set free years ago. I still, to this day, question the Bible almost daily. And I'm comfortable with that. For me, that increases my faith. But for someone else watching this, that might help them recognize that they don't believe in anything. And that's fine too. It's not about what other people will say. It's can you go to sleep at night rooted in your belief? Will you plant your flag? Will you take a stand for or against what you believe? That's the first way that we activate our truth. The second is to examine our values. So what do you value? I'm a breast cancer survivor. And for years and years and years and years, I said that I valued health, but I, I didn't, I was waking up drinking my meals pre-cancer. This is what it consisted of. I would wake up at six in the morning, have a cup of coffee. I would in the pantry, shovel morsels of chocolate chips into my (laughs) mouth, right? Because I had disordered eating back in the day. So there, I still had the psychology of eating in secret. Right. That was still a very big part of like, if I, I am so irrational, but I had this belief that if no one saw me eating it, then I didn't really eat it. You know, Mm. stories we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better and to feel safe. 
So in the pantry, shoveling morsels of chocolate chip cookie or uh, chips, then I would have gluten free uh, cupcakes because, you know, if it's gluten free, it's healthy. Yeah, yeah. No, not true <laughs> at all. Irrational thoughts. And then I would have three more cups of coffee throughout the day and two more gluten-free cupcakes. That would be my whole breakfast and lunch. And then dinner would be some sort of fried something, you know, tasty, delicious, horrible for you. Mm. That whole time, I was still telling people, I value health. I'm a former Marine. Rah, rah, look at me. But I didn't value my health. And when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, all of a sudden it came crashing to me, these unhealthy eating patterns. So I had to make a drastic change. And I began following something called the Gerson therapy. By the way, this therapy is not for the faint of heart. Like this is what you do if you desperately, desperately want to live, but you don't want to follow conventional chemotherapy um, radiation, by the way, when I made that decision, can I tell you how many people were so pissed off at me? Mm. Even to this day, when I talk about it, people write to me to tell me what an evil, awful person I am. And they tell me that I am going to kill someone with my beliefs. Mm. I respect their opinion. And also I used this therapy and in 30 days, all the cancer was gone and I'm four years out still cancer free. So while I can understand why my truth and my approach to healing is so scary to them, especially if they've lost loved ones, Mm. their reality is not my experience and my experience is not theirs. So I have a lot of grace and empathy. But going back to the values, when I did this Gerson therapy, it's like 13 cold pressed juices, five coffee enemas a day, like 90 capsules of pills and supplements. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> that sounds like hell. <laughs> when, you first, when you first said it, I thought, oh, maybe I could try something like this just for like a health boost. <laughs> now I'm like, it's no. <laughs> it is brutal. Look, at, I'm still like PTSD from it. Um, <laughs> And, and no salt, by the way. So mm. no nuts, no seeds, no oil, no salt, no flavor, um, vegan, gluten-free diet. Wow. Um, but it was what was right for me mm. because I valued what I had learned about aggressive chemotherapy and radiation. And I valued healing in a way that would be as as minimally destructive to my healthy cells as possible. Mm. Okay. So that is the beginning of activating your truth, figuring out what you value and assessing. Am I actually living according to the values that I say I hold? If I say that I value my family, but I look on my calendar and we haven't had a family movie night or a family outing, or we haven't had family dinners together in weeks and weeks and weeks, do I really value my family? No, I don't. So another thing I say in my book, Permission to Offend, is time tells where your values dwell. If you can look at your calendar, your schedule, your diary, and see what you've been spending your time on the most in the last week, are you spending your time on your values or are you spending your time in response to what the world is demanding of you? That's the beginning of activating your truth. Wow, that's really that's really strong. It's also... 
<laughs> kind of makes me think, oh, how much time am I dedicating to the things that are important to me and how much time am I like scrolling on Instagram mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuff like yeah. that? Wow, that's absolutely incredible. And so you've got your beliefs and, and I know you spoke about sort of like religion and faith. Mm. Are there other sort of areas in, in terms of belief? You know, are there sort of like micro areas of belief? Yes. Oh, yeah. A, a micro and macro, like what do we think, right? So one of the things that we tend to I see people lean towards is like all these negative beliefs all these limiting beliefs Mm. but there is also a positive side to beliefs and so one of the things I'm a big proponent on is amplifying the best stories amplifying the beliefs that will serve you best so thinking about what do you believe to be true about your the way that you show up in the world What do you believe to be true about the kind of human being that you have been, that you choose to be in this moment going forward as a mother, as a father, as a partner, as a lover, as a helper, as a teacher, whatever role identity. So one of the things I talk about is, you know, getting to the truth of your identity and what do you believe your identity is? When I I did ultimately lose my hair because I did um, I did something called IPT, insulin potentiated therapy, which is a low dose chemotherapy with insulin. And very, very rarely do people lose their hair from IPT. I happen to be one of the rare people that lost all of their hair. So I, I have this moment, I talk about it in the book. Um, the audio book is really good if you wanna like hear the emotion. So I, I've, I've lost all my hair and because I was doing this all natural healing, I couldn't wear makeup. And that was the first time I looked sick. Mm. And I remember looking in the mirror and not recognizing myself. And there's nothing that will scare you more than looking in the mirror and not recognizing your reflection. Like I'm getting choked up thinking about it because it's so jarring and you have to start to ask yourself, who am I? Mm. Who am I when everything that helps me identify as a woman is gone, right? Uh, I grew up with the belief, we're going back to the beliefs now. I grew up with the belief that a woman's hair is her beauty Mm. while I had no hair. Um, I had had a lumpectomy, so I was missing a part of my right breast and that was jarring to see. So, um, the chemotherapy that I did, the low dose chemotherapy shut off my ovaries. So I cannot have children anymore. So everything that is supposed to help me identify as a woman is now gone. What? I'm not a woman anymore. And the answer is yes, absolutely. I, 1000% am a woman. (laughs) But in the moment, I had to ask myself what's left. And what I discovered that what was left was love, because I still had so much love to give. And it was the love that I had for my children. And that kept me waking up, that kept me drinking those 13 juices, every single hour that kept me in the bathroom for four to five hours of day of my day doing coffee enemas was this love this this uh overwhelming love that i had for my children and for life so when we look at beliefs it really comes down to who do you believe you are who do you believe you're meant to be and what do you believe 
is needed or required of you in this day and in this moment that you can pour back out into the world so that you can truly live in this freedom because that's what you get. When you start activating your truth, when you really tap into your identity and you are willing to stand for those beliefs and those values, you are so free to be whoever and whatever it is that you desire moment to moment. Mm. There are some days when I am like fully mom mode. Priority number one, I'm all about what my kids need. And there are other days where like takeaway is coming to the house, you know, um, <laughs> the Uber Eats is coming and, and the Disney is on or whatever, whatever they're watching, they're on their devices. And I'm right here. I'm locked in with you mm-hmm. because this is where I'm called to be in this moment. And there's freedom in that. And I don't have to hold myself to the standards of the world of you should be doing this because how dare you send out for McDonald's when you are a cancer survivor? Listen, I don't eat that crap, but if my kids want it and that's what's going to keep them happy for the 30 minutes while I'm having a life-changing conversation, that's what they're going to get. And if you don't like it, that's on you. You're not living my life. I'm not living yours, but I appreciate your care and concern for my kids. Mm. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, it sounds like you really had, well, it was, you know, life-changing stuff. Obviously getting a, a diagnosis like that is, you know, everybody kind of knows that that's life-changing anyway. And once you have all of those things stripped back, you know, the makeup and the hair and the body and all the stuff that we, as especially as women, kind of tend to rely upon a little bit, and you strip it all back and you get rid of the ego. I love the idea of sort of looking closely at what's left and I think in a very different way many people had those sorts of moments during uh, lockdown for example people were losing their job and suddenly their identity is gone because their previously their identity was their job or you know they can't see their friends and their relatives and family anymore and you I, I mean I don't know about you guys but I saw a lot of people that I uh, know and love myself included having these like huge mm. almost like crises of identity and making these huge lifestyle changes and stuff like that out of that that moment in time absolutely 100 percent. you know one of the reasons why I try not to tell my story too much is because I know how unrelatable it can be (laughs) but you have absolutely nailed it like you smashed it because that's exactly right when our social circle is taken away, in particular, when your job changes for a military life was very different. When I got out, I felt like I don't know how to even act in the <laughs> yeah. civilian world. And in fact, my bosses told me that they were like, you're too abrasive. I was like, abrasive. What are you talking <laughs> like? This is how we talk to people. And I had one boss pull me into the office and he said, you can't talk to people like that. I said, why? Their heads are up their asses. All I'm telling them is to unfuck themselves. I don't understand. You know, this was very standard in the Marine Corps. And so I actually think, I know this is going to sound absolutely crazy, and I'm available to look and sound crazy. That's why I call myself a lunatic. I'm crazy enough to believe that my dreams can and will come true. And they have. But, um, you know, I know it sounds crazy, but I think that those moments of crises, that's where we find out who we really are. Mm, And so the pandemic for as brutal as it was, 
and as isolating and heartbreaking as it was, it really gave us an opportunity to go inward and figure out, well, who am I? And by the way, I know that the pandemic is mostly over. Are we, are, have we called it? Have we said like it's over? I feel like it's over. Mm. Yeah, um, let's, let's, right? let's move on from that now. <laughs> we'll just call it, right? We're going to yeah. call it right yeah. here now. I'm done. I'm done um, with that. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we can't still lean in and go inwards and just choose who we want to be moving forward. So whether or not I was formerly known as the social butterfly, whether or not I was formerly known as the engineer or the Google employee or the Amazon employee or, you know, wherever I'm just thinking of those poor Google workers who mm. tried to walk into the building only to their key card not work. That was mm. horrific. But that's just a role that you occupied. Who's left? And by the way, did you love yourself in that role? Maybe you did. And if you did, what are the parallels from what you were doing then to where you are now? And can you bring the best of who you were then to who you are now and just sort of leave the the less than desirable traits? Because we all have them. We all have some habits or belief patterns or, or thoughts that just don't serve us any longer. What is the best story that I can tell myself in this moment? What is the best belief that I can anchor into so that I can live fully self-expressed and totally aligned with what is true for me right now? And the one other thing I like to say is like I, at any moment, you can choose to be someone else, a new version. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I, th I think, unfortunately, many people do wait until breaking point and a huge crisis to suddenly have this realization. But I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about constantly questioning your beliefs, constantly mm. questioning your values, and always always asking yourself do I still believe this do I still value this because people change and values change over time even from day to day and week to week people's values and beliefs can change that's okay well, I guess it, it's being um proactive in these things rather than being reactive mm. which is what I guess is what you're saying Sophie is that it's not until we get to the point where we have to react that we start mm. to make changes whereas you know obviously going back to your book this is an opportunity for people to be proactive Absolutely. There's an exercise that I have in the book called, I say, you know, go to bat for yourself and bat stands for belief audit time. So this is where you're going to, I do it on Mondays because that helps me get set for the week ahead. Like, okay, just check in. What are the most dominant thoughts that I've had this week? You know, what am I believing about myself, my ability to show up, how good or how quote unquote bad I am? What are the best beliefs that I can bring into this week? What are some negative beliefs that I need to either re reframe or eradicate altogether so that I'm like fortified for the week? And then the other thing I encourage everyone to do is a value audit. And the way that you do that is you just open up your phone, your diary, your calendar schedule, whatever you have, and look, where did you spend your time last week? What were you doing? And can you see a life of your values? Can you see evidence of living your values in the past week? If not, invitation. Mm -hmm. Schedule in a couple of things this week that help you really live according to your values. Mm -hmm. yeah. one, one a week. Such a good idea. Because I'm just thinking 
especially for me as a woman my not only do my values and my beliefs kind of change from week to week but you know your hormones change your mood changes if you'd asked me last week what was important to me or like what was playing on my mind it would be completely different to what is going on in my head like this week for example where literally every single tiny thing is annoying me because I've like hormonal (laughs) and tired but um but yeah I think that's a that's a great idea just consistently and continuously checking in and asking those questions Um, and so moving on to your book so permission to offend now first of all I love the title we at unquestionable love for color as well because it's very on brand (laughs) um now in your book you talk about having um permission slips to offend and I know you mentioned that offending it's not about hurting people or you know being rude or anything like that could you talk a little bit about what that means to give yourself permission to offend and when might you do that and why specifically would people not do that and would not speak Mm. up not set boundaries because I I presume permission to offend is is kind of inherently about setting boundaries in your life with the people friends the relationships the the work colleagues stuff like that why would people not do that because I think none most of us probably don't at, at, you know at certain points in our lives yeah so absolutely permission to offend is about giving yourself permission to live according to your truth according to your beliefs and according to your values and holding steady not compromising what you believe to fit in with society or, you know, to avoid getting canceled. I I really believe in lean into what you believe, but be very respectful about it. So I, as I shared, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm not going to back down from being a Christian. And also I'm not emotionally attached to what you believe in if, or you believe in nothing. I, it doesn't, it's none of my business And also I'm curious and I just want to learn more about you. So tell me, how did you get there? If you don't believe in God, do you pray? What do you do when you're scared? Who do you turn to? I have these questions about people who have different beliefs and I am just genuinely curious to learn more about them. And then I hope that because I am open to hearing what they have to say without judging just total acceptance. Maybe they'll hear me and we just have really cool conversation. And at the end of the day, I don't have to forfeit my belief and you don't have to forfeit your belief because two truths can coexist at one time. I believe that. And I think that if we gave ourselves the grace to believe that we would have less division. We would just get to those places of like, okay, well, we just see it differently and that's okay. So I want to normalize two truths being available at once. Um, Why we wouldn't do this, and there are moments, right? There's a a part in the book where I say, let wisdom not worry, keep you silent. Mm. I do believe that there are moments where I have a lot of opinions and I really am. I want to, I want to just like vomit them all out, but that does not make sense. It wouldn't be wise because my opinions might be truly harmful to someone in that moment, depending on the environment, depending on the circumstance, depending on the audience. So I deeply believe that there are some audiences where you can have 
hot topic conversations, you know, race, politics, gender, you can have those conversations, but because each party is really interested in understanding, nothing is going to escalate out of control. And we know because we have this safety, if you will, we've, we've uh, established rules of engagement. We know no one is going to be physically hurt and that emotional damage is going to be mitigated on the spot. But if I go and I say something crazy off the wall or I, or I ask a question, even if genuinely I'm just seeking to understand, but I say this in an audience full of like skinheads or white supremacists, people could genuinely die. Mm -hmm. So we want to know, we want to recognize the environment. We want to recognize the audience. And we want to, before we start, offending, right? Before we start giving ourselves these blank permission slips to offend, we want to do it with intentionality and we want to do it with uh, safe rules of engagement. And I give those in the book. I really lay out steps for how do you have these tough conversations, especially, I don't know if either of you have had this experience, but have you ever had people in your family that you, like you just don't see eye to eye on things? And there's always that one person who is perpetually offended by anything you do or say. And there is a saying that we've seen the cliche of like, you know, other people's opinions are none of your business, but sometimes their opinion are your business, right? Like what my husband thinks of me his opinion of me is my business because that's my life partner. Yeah. What my mother, whom I love, whom I desire to have a close relationship with, her opinion is my business. And in the book, I give you steps for how you still stand in your truth while they have their opinion, how you take their opinion into consideration, but you don't let it override or throw you off of your truth? How do you stand in that with love, with respect, with compassion and with empathy? I think that's really, really important, isn't it? Because I think we've all got aspects of our lives or our beliefs or our values or whatever it might be, where you just know other people don't get it they they just don't get it or it's just different or they may judge you and then that feels like a rejection and so you almost yeah. find yourself like deserting and abandoning a part of yourself to try and sort of fit in with your family or your close friends or your partner or whoever it might be so I think that's a really really good point that um yeah you I mean it goes back to what you're saying about us as humans we're sort of tribal aren't we tribal creatures yeah. and we just want to fit in and our family is our tribe so mm -hmm. exactly and we don't get to choose them either they're like we're sort of kind of stuck with them right <laughs> I mean, you're stuck with them while you're still dependent on them yeah. for sure mm. and then but at some point no you do get to choose right as mm. grown adults self-sufficient adults you get to choose i think that that's the beauty that we choose these imperfect human beings with their flaws and we love we show them so much compassion and empathy that we love them anyway even when we disagree even when we don't see eye to eye because we are able to have that connective tissue right so there's always well i don't i can't say always but there is often at least one thing that we can connect and bond and agree on and one of the things i say is listen 
if you have that tumultuous of a relationship with a family or a family member or a friend that you feel you can't be your fully self-expressed self, but you don't want to lose them, find the thing that they love and center all of your conversations around the thing that matters to them most and recognize that they are not going to show up for you the way that you're showing up for them. And that's okay. That is being compassionate and empathetic. That's showing the most love that you can in that circumstance. Mm, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure the listeners are probably all imagining and thinking of one person in their lives right now. <laughs> They're like, yeah, this could probably come in handy. <laughs> and I think that it's the idea of our families just because we share, you know, the same blood, the idea that we should all have exactly the same opinions and values and hobbies and interests is it's crazy really when you think yeah, about fallacy, it. it you choose your friends for those reasons but you can't choose your family like you said Giles so yeah you you've you've kind of got to find that that common ground you? <laughs> oh, amazing that's so so fascinating so in terms of the reason why people may not set those boundaries or mm. speak up so I'm guessing re- rejection is that element oh yeah sure but see those are the reasons why people don't speak up but i don't think that that is a reason why you should not speak up right Mm -hmm. i think that the only reason you should not speak up the only reason you should ever not be the fullest expression of yourself is when you know that to do so would cause harm physical emotional harm to yourself or to someone else in which case you know, you're making the conscious choice Mm. to not say, be, or do something. Any other time, we've got to address that. So why people don't do this? Because they're afraid of judgment, rejection, and defamation, right? Those are the three fears I say that we're working against in my book. Mm. So judgment, what are people going to think? Or, um, excuse me, judgment, what are people going to think? Rejection, what are people going to do? Are they going to say yes or no? You're in, you're out. Or defamation, what are people going to say and who are they going to tell? So here's the cool thing about judgments. And there was a little scientific study that was conducted and they determined that your brain forms a judgment eight seconds before it recognizes the person walking towards you. Okay, so eight seconds before you even have any facial recognition of who's coming towards you, your brain is judging whether or not that person is safe. And the way that the brain does that is by uh, situation, Mm. circumstance and experience. So if you are down a crowd, uh, a solitary dark alley and a giant towering figure comes walking at you it might be your best friend's dad but we watch a lot of television we see all the horror stories don't go down women don't go down the dark alley by yourself immediately danger Mm. right the judgments are automatic so i always say the first judgment is automatic the second judgment is a choice so it doesn't matter what they think at first you still have an opportunity. And people always say, you know, you only have a first chance to make a first one chance to make a first impression, but you have multiple chances to make other impressions. And those impressions could be rock star impressions. Who, how many times have you met someone at first? You're like, "Mm, I don't know about that person. Mm. 
but then someone champions for them, or you find yourself in a situation where you meet again and they're completely delightful. And you think to yourself, who was that? Maybe they were just having a bad day. You know what I mean? So the fear of judgment is irrational for the most part. Your brain thinks I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to express myself. I'm going to be exactly who I want to be. And a lion is going to come out and rip out my insides. That's literally what the brain is thinking. The brain thinks it's a life or death situation. This is where we have to choose our thoughts and the meaning that we're assigning. We have to choose the stories that we're going to tell ourselves and tell a different story. You know what? Today, this is who I choose to be. This is how I'm going to show up. And there may be someone out there who doesn't like it. When that happens, I am going to bravely ask clarifying questions. I'm going to show a lot of compassion. I'm going to activate, I call it the empathetic offender. So the empathetic offender can hold space for more than one truth. The empathetic offender is open to hearing what other people have to say and let them believe what they want without forfeiting their own truth. The empathetic offender is taking a stand for what is right and true for them. So I'm going to activate my empathetic offender. And if it goes sideways, I have tools in the book. I have a section where I say like, you've offended someone and it went bad. Now what? Right. Mm -hmm. So if it goes sideways, there are steps that you can take to help you mitigate, you know, crisis intervention, if you will. And then you try again. But none of us stood up for the first time and began running without falling. Every single one of us had that rocky moment where we were taking our first steps, where we fell, where we fall and we've tripped. We keep getting back up. And that is the human spirit. You fall down, you get back up, you get judged, you show up again. Because when people judge me, and this is what I say in the book, if people are judging me, that means I've got their attention. They see me, they hear me. And this is my chance to throw out a new idea. This is my chance to get them to understand and if they don't, it's my chance to ask a question so that I can at least understand them. I think it's really important yeah, to clarify that as well, because especially nowadays with uh, technology and social media, you see so many people airing their opinions in a super aggressive way and they're not having conversations. It's not a two way thing. It's, they're just trolls, <laughs> essentially. So. Well, it's the lack of nuance, isn't it? Yeah. And, and oh, lack of empathy. Nuance. <laughs> Listen, nuance is huge. And I don't know when in, especially in social media, things became so black and white, no mm. space for nuance. And you know, one thing I am noticing is that I'm, I don't see so much the troll. The trolls are always going to be in the comments, but I'm noticing now that there are creators who will give all of their opinions and then say, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Don't message me. <laughs> don't respond to me. You know, you came on my page. Like, yes, yeah. we did come don't on your me. page. Don't at me. <laughs> don't at me. Don't at me. Yeah. <laughs> but you 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 gave us something to add yeah you yeah, know yeah, yeah, like yeah. you gave us a reason to want to add but now you're not open for it and i think that there's just this very idealistic approach to i'm gonna show up i'm gonna say everything i want to say and then la 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 yeah. i'm gonna turn off my app and i don't want to hear what you have to say mm, yeah totally within your right but is that productive like does that help unify us as a community I don't think so. 
but I'm available for someone to change my mind. So if you think that there is a way for us to have community by each person just throwing out their opinion and then not engaging in a conversation, please at me because I do <laughs> want to know. Um, I'm curious to know as well, just um, from a personal perspective and, and just from my personal experiences with uh, people airing their opinions, do you think mm. that people being afraid of um, offending and of speaking up and speaking their truth and setting boundaries, do you feel like that's more common with women due to our societal and generational kind of like how things have always been I find that women are maybe a little bit more worried to do that than men mm -hmm. but I might be wrong that might just be my my experience I think yes and here's what I mean yes overall and also it really depends on your circle and your community because I surround myself by women who are super empowered mm. and because they are in this new way of being, they're so secure in their truth. They're saying a lot, they have a lot of opinions and they're not shying back from them. Mm. But if I look back and I think about, you know, friends and associations that I had maybe 20 years ago that I still keep in touch with. And I look at their social medias, they're not really saying that much. And it's because they're just in a different part of society, if you will. Mm. So I think it's, it's very, it's a nuance. So yes, <laughs> overall, mm. and also depending on the circles that you keep, you know, I, I noticed this, especially with women, uh, in the online space, like coaches and teachers that I notice when it comes to selling, mm. right? So they're very shy, quiet, a little less, upfront about asking for the sale and, and women will tend to add and add and add things like this bonus and that bonus. And it's like bonus overwhelm mm. because they're trying so hard to communicate the value. Whereas men in the similar space will be like, this is what it is. This is what I charge. No bonuses. Bonuses are extra. Pay me my money. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> um, <laughs> so again, it's very subjective. And I think that women have just been conditioned to be good girls. Mm, yeah, I, I would agree. I think that that was kind of what I was expecting, to be honest with you. And I found also that if I want to set those boundaries, if I want to say no or, you know, speak up, it's a real like self-development piece for me. It's like something I have to like gear up to and work on and journal on and stuff. Whereas with men, like my friends that are men, it just Not seems- me. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we talk about this regularly actually, like even with the pod stuff, um, you know, I'll be like, Jaws, can you do this please? Because I'm too scared of being rejected. Or <laughs> can you email this person for us? Do you know what I mean? And I wondered if it was a gender thing and, and women are kind of raised innately yeah. to be you know more passive and and more pleasing it's gender and experience so think about it this really goes back to how we're raised individually so i follow this cute little six-year-old who's a, a snowboarder her name is kashi right <laughs> kashi is fearless kashi is going to have no problem in this world moving forward because she has been conditioned since she was one years old to do things scared. Mm. Whereas I was conditioned to don't even move out of your seat. Cause you might die. Yeah. yeah. And so you have to think about 
What was your upbringing? What was your conditioning? What were you taught in, in school? And if you're fighting against that programming, give yourself grace. Because of course you have to work harder. You've got decades of programming and conditioning that you have to deprogram, work through so that you can just have the courage to show up and ask a question that is probably not really scary at all, but feels like the end of the world to you because, oh my God, if they reject me, they're going to think all these things about me. Mm. And all the things that they're thinking about me, to me, it means that's what you really have to figure out. What are you making it mean? So now I have worked myself up to the point where if I get rejected, it means nothing. But it took me a long time, right? Because I was saying, well, if I get rejected, it means I'm not good enough. It means they don't want me. It means I don't have any value. It means that, you know, other people are more important. Good example. Um, there's this uh, uh, bookstore. I was just thinking of the name of the bookstore. There's this bookstore in the Bronx. I'm from the Bronx in New York City, okay? And I really wanted to do a book signing at this bookstore in the Bronx. It's woman-owned, woman of color-owned. I'm thinking I am the perfect author to have a book signing at this bookshop. Mm. They said no. They said no. And you know what my thought was? What a mistake, that Amazing. sucks for that bookstore owner because I would have packed the house for her. Mm. She really messed up. And one day she is going to ask me to have a book signing at her bookstore. And you know what I'm going to say? Hell yeah, girl. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, however many years ago. Why? Because <laughs> I understand that for whatever reason they made their decision, they made their decision. It says nothing about me and everything about them. Mm. Wow. I can't wait to get to that point. <laughs> when you Every said day that, practicing. it's so interesting because when you said about that, I was immediately thinking of myself in that position and I would be thinking, oh, it's because my book's not very good or, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'd be all the negative kind of context. Yeah. It'd be in, internalizing that. But it's great that you were sort of saying that actually they've missed out. Yeah, Giles yeah. is also an author, by the way. So, yeah, well, okay, but here's: Do you like your book? Do you, have okay. you? Yeah, yeah. Since do, you yeah. wrote it, have you picked it up and flipped it open and read a passage and been like, "Damn, that's that's good." Do you do that? Uh, I, no, yeah. you don't. <laughs> no, you I need do. to be doing this. Do you know what? No, do you know what I do? I look at it what and I do? and I can't believe that I've written it. Okay. I want to give you a little tidbit, if I may, unsolicited. Please, please do. Okay, because I don't ever want you to think again, oh, it's because my book is not good enough, right? Because that is the plight of the author. The author will say like, oh, book sales, book, the book isn't selling the way that I wanted it to. It must not be good. No, the book is great. We just need to reposition. We just need to market differently. We need to get more exposure. There's so many other reasons aside from it's a crap book. So- the way that I have overcome that is I every week, at least one time a week, but I try to do it three times a week, open up my book and I will read a passage from my own book. And I would just think, man, that is really good. Now, I have, did find yesterday on page 107 a type like no! a big, big mistake. Oh, yeah, big no. mistake. And I'm and the thing is that pull, I remember pull, the books. <laughs> pull all the thousands of copies yeah. off the shelves. But here's the thing. I pointed that mistake out in 
when in the revisions and they still sent it to print that way. Right. Mm. Months ago, I would have been like, oh, my gosh, now no one is going to get this. Like this was the nugget. This was the, the thing and whatever. No, now it's like, oh, I can't wait till we reprint this next round so we can fix this. Mm. And now because I caught this typo, this gives me content. I'm going to go live. I'm going to go on stories. I'm going to tell everyone, listen, turn to page 107 of the book. If you don't have the book, go buy it right now just so you could look at this dreadful copy because we are going to fix it and you're never going to get to have a copy of the mistake, you know, a copy with the mistake. It'll be worth more. You're right. So I'm going to (laughs) sell it in a different way. And then I get to teach from my content because the more that you teach from your content the more you're reminded damn this is a really good book it's such a shame that these people haven't gone out and purchased it for themselves Mm -hmm. I feel bad for the people that only get to hear about my book but not actually read it I love that I love that thank you reframing reframing every day (laughs) every day yeah I I do that as well to be fair (laughs) okay so let's talk about some everyday real life examples of where you will need to offend so we'll start with work the workplace environment because obviously this is a common one it's probably one where everybody at some point will have a moment where they're like not speaking up or they're playing small or they're scared of offending someone and or pushing back on something what are some examples of times and and places that people will need to use your book in the workplace for sure when you are asking for a raise Mm, that's a good one especially I know we're in this recession at least in the United States I don't know what it's looking like across the pond Mm, but recession is hitting and so there might be this fear or this story that you tell yourself of i'm lucky that i have a job Mm. so i can't ask for more i can't ask for what actually i merit because of my years of experience and because of my work performance so i would definitely say you need my book because the first thing that we're going to help you do is recognize the beliefs that you're telling the stories that you're telling yourself that are holding you back from asking. And then I'm going to also give you some really great in chapter seven, there are some steps for you to communicate with empathy so that you can respectfully ask for that raise. And the script could go something like, I'm interested in having a conversation um, to review my performance and a salary increase for this year. So it's just setting the standard. And then going in and saying, I love this company. I'm so passionate about the work that I've done. One of the, one of the things I've achieved this year that I'm really proud of. And then you go in and you, we call it a brag file. Um, that's what we used to call in the Marine Corps. You had to, right? It was our responsibility in the Marine Corps to keep tabs on the great things that we had done. So that when we had these conversations with our superior, we could say, look, I did all these things. Why? Because your boss has so many other people that they're responsible for paying attention to, plus their own job, make it easier on them Mm. and give yourself that permission to just shoot your shot. What's the worst that they're going to say? No can do. They're not going to fire you for asking for a raise, Mm. especially not with the shortage when, you know, nobody wants to go. I don't know what it is in the UK, but here in the US, nobody wants to go back to work because our government started giving out free money. Now you (laughs) actually get more money to stay home. It's crazy over here. I'm going to go over there ASAP. But 
I think yeah I think that's a great idea I also personally think because Giles and I we're both creatives we're both self-employed I think keeping a brag file is just a good idea for yourself for your own benefit because especially if you're having those feelings of like imposter syndrome or you're afraid Mm -hmm. to charge a certain amount for your work if you're keeping tabs of like this is my experience these are all the amazing things I've done you can go back to that and be like, no, actually, I am pretty amazing. <laughs> you know, I deserve all of that. I kind of got my brag file above my desk here. I've got all my books, you see. My wife <laughs> yeah. said, my wife said, she, I said, I can't put my books up there. And she said, you've got to put your books up there so that you look up every day and you see what you've achieved. Yeah, I think that's a great. So I've got my brag. Yeah. And you've got yeah, yours as you've well. Got yours as well. <laughs> and you know what it is, is City over here. What's so nice as well is that this is we're at Jars's house and yet every time we record, he takes down some of his stuff and sticks up some of my eyes. I think it's my head's um, probably covering it, but that's sweet, isn't it? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I want to share a little tip with you about imposter syndrome if I can. Oh, please, please, do. please. <laughs> so, fake people never deal with imposter syndrome because they know they're fake. And when I realized that, I just thought, oh, that's true. Imposters do not ever worry about imposter syndrome. A con person knows that they're conning you. So they don't even deal with that. Like, are they going to believe me? Mm, So if you're feeling imposter syndrome, it's just evidence that you're not an imposter. Like you're the real deal. Own it. That's interesting. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a reverse, like flip it. Yeah. That is taking a minute for my brain to, like, <laughs> to <laughs> work know. that one out. You can sit with that one for Yeah, a while. that actually makes a lot of sense. It's evidence that you're actually not an imposter because if you were an imposter, you wouldn't be worried uh, about, about <laughs> You wouldn't be worried. You know, I'm yeah. taking everybody. I'm conning these fools. Ha ha, suckers. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like that as well, though. <laughs> Oh, well, it's too easy, right? So sometimes, like, the work is so easy. It's almost like, are, do they really want to pay me just to run my mouth? You know, as a speaker, sometimes that's the thought. Like, man, these people are going to pay me how much yeah. to get on a plane, which I love to travel, and to mm. speak in front of people just to run my mouth and share my thoughts. But here's the thing. There is an art to being a captivating public speaker. Mm. There is an art in knowing how to tell a story that brings the audience in with you to where you are about to cry and they are already crying. That That's a skill set, by the way, mm-hmm. to tell a story and to control your emotions enough so that you're not crying. Because once you cry, the audience then starts to feel sorry for you. And instead of listening to the part of the story that's applicable to them, they're, they're just giving you pity. You don't want that, right? Mm-hmm. But that right there... That is an art form mm. and that deserves to be compensated well. When you do your art, like no one can do the art the way that you do. Even if you have a really great imposter, there's always someone who has the eye to see like, oh, that's a fake. Mm. Um, in fact, I don't know if you all follow Bethany Frankel. She was like a real housewife and she has the skinny brand margarita here, whatever. <laughs> she uh there's a store out here called TJ Maxx. I don't know if you have that, but it's like mm-hmm. a discount retailer. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, you have TJ Maxx? Cool. Yeah, yeah. So Bethany was sharing these shoes that she had gotten from TJ Maxx. And someone that follows her sent her a message and says, Bethany, those shoes are knockoffs. Those are not real. Your shoe should have a, a suede bottom and there should be a stitching that the guy saw a stitching from the social media. 
Wow. Oh my so God. all that just to remind you that your work, the way that you do it, especially for our entrepreneurs out there, no one can do it the way that you do it. And it, if it feels so easy, if, if, if it almost feels wrong, that's just credit to your expertise and to how good you really are, because the easier it looks, the harder it is to execute. Mm. I learned that from watching gymnastics. You see them doing all these flips and it makes it look so easy. The easier it looks, the harder that skill actually is. Wow. Uh, I feel like I need to carry you around in my pocket and just have you like give me inspirational talks every day. A lot of people day. tell me that. <laughs> it's so, yeah, That's so why I wrote nuggets. the book. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. many nuggets of wisdom. That's amazing. So I think that there's a lot to be said about believing in yourself and believing in your worth when it comes to speaking up in the workplace. And now what about more personal situations mm. and environments you know your friendships and romantic relationships where are the moments yeah. and the times like for example with friendships sometimes mm. you do need to set boundaries with people you know energetic yeah. or that you know it might be a verbal uh, boundary yeah. whatever it is I actually give a really good example in the book and permission to offend. Uh, and I'll just share it with you all here um, but I still recommend that you go buy the book <laughs> so um, I, I had a, I still have a friend. We're still great friends to this day, but she would book time to speak with me. We'd like make these appointments cause she's busy and I'm busy. And then every time, not every time, but there was a pattern was beginning to form that before our calls, she would send me a message to say, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Could we move our call to this day and time? Oh my gosh, I forgot this thing came up. Oh, I woke up and I just want to have like a little, and it was just like excuse after excuse. Mm. And I remember feeling a type of way, right? Offen By the way, offense is a choice. And in those moments, I was choosing to feel very offended. And the reason I was feeling offended was because I wasn't speaking my truth. And the truth was that I thought she was not valuing my time. Mm. I thought that she was being disrespectful. I thought that she was discounting me and that she was mistaking my kindness for weakness. These were all the thoughts. And ultimately, I was making those thoughts mean that she didn't care enough about me to make me a priority in her life. So one day she sends me this text message like, oh, my gosh, so sorry. Can we move it to whatever? My heart was beating out of my chest. Let me tell you. So, by the way, giving yourself permission to offend is not always easy. And it's not that you do it and you don't feel any fear or trepidation. I absolutely was terrified because I love her so much and I was so afraid to offend her. I was so afraid she was going to get mad at me, but I was more afraid of betraying myself because mm. I had already had a whole lifetime of betraying myself and doing everything that everyone wanted me to do and being everyone that everyone wanted me to be. And it still wasn't good enough. Like now, nah, no more. Mm. So I sent a message and I said, um, I'm sorry, I'm not available at this time. I'm available at the time that we agreed upon. And I noticed that recently, and I just said everything that I said to you, that it was a long text message. <laughs> it was a very long text message. Um, and I said, I ended it with, I love you. I value our friendship. I do want to talk and I'm available to talk at the time we agreed upon. And I hit the send and my heart was like, dun, 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 terrified. 
And she wrote back and she said she was sorry that I was right, that I had been doing that. And now I will be honest in admitting that friend stopped scheduling calls with me and we did speak less frequently. And that was painful for me because I thought to myself, oh, like maybe I shouldn't have sent that text message. But you know what? I feel better because now when we do talk, it's very intentional Mm. and it's not forced. And I'm also not getting we say gaffed off like I'm not getting the runaround. I'm not getting put off. So when we do make time to talk, we talk and it's intentional and we do still love each other tremendously. We're just in different seasons. And right now, her life work season, I cannot even keep. I don't know how she does it. Mm. Don't. So you get to have grace for yourself and for the other person. It's really what it comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. And and understanding that in sending that text message and speaking your truth to the to the friend or the person, there is a, you know, there is a chance that they're going to be offended or get upset or take it personally or, you know, withdraw or sometimes Mm -hmm. it might backfire and people are passive aggressive and then they stop talking to you and stuff like that. But also that's okay. You know, that's, this is why I suggest that you buy a copy for yourself and a copy for like a very close friend and the true story, read the book together and then practice having these quote unquote offensive conversations with the rules of engagement that it's a safe space. Like I'm going to say some things, I might mess it up. Mm -hmm. You might say some things, you might mess it up, but like, we're just practicing how to do this work together before we go out into the wild. Mm, That's such a good idea. I love Mm -hmm. that. I was actually having a conversation with a friend recently about like the dating world and how, how strange it is that people kind of dance around communicating Mm. their needs or communicating like even breaking up with people or going on a you know my friend went on a date and then afterwards she was kind of like yeah I just said to him you know you're not my person like it was lovely to meet you but thanks and I was like wow my god that was so honest of you like that's crazy we just didn't like ghost or anything (laughs) and it is it's like nowadays especially with technology and it's just so easy to like just drop off the radar or like you know be avoidant and not face the problem I think yeah like reading your book would be so helpful in those situations as well as you know not just work and friendships and stuff imagine you buying like 20 odd coffees yeah potential dates yeah (laughs) just taking them on dates but so this is how I'm gonna break up with you so if you can just read this in advance (laughs) well it's true I actually had I had one woman say to me that she was reading the book she applied the principles with her husband And then she had her husband was like, what are you reading? And he said, you know what? I'll read it, too. And their conversations, their relationships has changed so much because they did the work together. He actually left me an Amazon review and he was like, it's not just for women. So I do. I recommend like your best friend, your partner. You should learn how to do this with each other. In fact, my there are a couple of stories of my husband in there of how he has used some of the techniques, by the way. It doesn't feel good when you're telling yourself stories and your husband finally starts listening as you're coaching other people. And then 
the whole, like you're telling yourself a story because it backfires. And one day I was telling myself stories and my husband was like, you're telling yourself stories. I was like, you're listening. You're paying attention. That's uh, all the thing. That's the thing you picked up. <laughs> yeah. Because, and then you, you, you realize like, Oh, okay. We're doing this work together. Mm. And, um, I, regarding your friend, I did want to just acknowledge that. I think that that was such a compassionate thing that she did for that guy to say, you're not my person instead of blowing him off instead of ghosting him instead of leaving him to wonder what was wrong with him it's it's an act of compassion to speak your truth it may not feel like that it may it may hurt in the moment but um in all healing there is a moment of discomfort Mm. yeah and do you know what i think that's why i said to her i was like so so like wow that's amazing that you did that because I was thinking if someone said that to me, like, oh, you're amazing, but you're not my person, I would probably choose to be offended by that and be like, why not? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, I should be everyone's person. Do you know what I mean? And and actually being honest and having respect to, you know, to say that to someone is so much, I mean, it's just saves time apart from anything else. And, you know, yeah. like well, dancing around these topics. Actually having honest communication I mean, which is kind of what a lot of this is boiling down to having that honest communication, communicating your truth, as you've said, seeking to understand other people's truths. Um, It's it's actually quite simple in Mm -hmm. in essence, but we make it complicated. Yeah. Through storytelling and and narratives and 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 all of that comes from our own personal experiences, as you said, when you were explaining your backstory you had yeah. your reasons for having these negative beliefs about you and associations, but you did the work on yourself and you worked through those things. And now you don't take things so personally. And, yeah. and you know, unfortunately, not everybody takes the time to work on themselves and to actually think, actually, is this a story or is this a narrative that I'm just sort of t- telling myself or is this me? You know, is this my stuff? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think it's definitely a, an amazing invitation to everybody to do that work you know look inwards and start being a bit more honest with ourselves and each other yeah absolutely it's work and 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 i'll just say you know last thing is it is daily work i still work on this Mm. i i had a circumstance with a friend where she did something and and i know she wasn't even thinking about me when she did it but i was hurt deeply hurt And I had to like go back into the tools that I talk about in the book. I had to go through the framework for freedom. I had to really ask myself, what am I making this mean? And Mm. do I value this friendship? And and it is the work. It's simple. The steps are simple, but just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. We just get to decide our level of commitment to ourselves and to the people in our lives. And so I worked through it and then, you know, we went out to dinner, we had a chat about it and, Mm. and it was fine yeah the ego kind of kicks in doesn't Mm -hmm. it and yeah I mean we've probably all been there where what you know we've made a mistake or someone's done something to us and we've sort of like had to set boundaries and speak up and then that person's been offended and it feels so uncomfortable it feels so horrible and and it's like one of those horrible things where you wake up and it's like you get that split second where you forget that it's happening and then you suddenly remember and you're like oh god it's so uncomfortable but I was going to ask you when you, you know, when you had to send that text message to your friend where you said, mm-hmm. you know, this is not okay. Did you feel like when your heart was racing and you felt sick and you were like, oh, God, i got to send it. Once you clicked that send button and it had gone, did you feel yeah. like a weight lift off your, or 
off your no. shoulders or no, <laughs> still horrible? No, not at all. I was still <laughs> very nervous and very anxious. And that's why I say, like, don't be deceived. It's not like, ah, I'm this you know, magician. No, I, I was still, I was proud of myself. Mm, yeah. I was, I felt a sense of pride and empowerment and I remember thinking, like, good for you, girl. Like you stuck, you stuck up for yourself. You stood by your truth. So I felt that, and also like, mm. like, am am I? Is this the end of my friendship? Mm. And so, what I I was on a walk when I sent this text, and I'm a big proponent for that. Whenever you do a scary thing, go move your body. Like you have to move that energy around. Mm. And so while I was walking, I, I'm a big believer in prayer, as you all know. So I, as I was walking, I was praying, I was praying for her. I was praying for myself and just praying for both of our hearts to be receptive to the, the mutual love that we had for each other. And then I gave myself, and this is in chapter seven in the book, permission to offend. There's something called the all outcomes matrix. So I just gave myself permission to be at peace with all possibilities, even if it meant that our friendship was over. I got to a point of acceptance that if she responded and said it was over, then it was over. And I had to respect that. Mm. And then I felt better. And, and then I felt that peace that you're talking yeah. about. But it wasn't instantaneous. And I would never, ever pretend that it would be. Mm. yeah it's it's actually sometimes a nice idea to think of the absolute worst outcome as well and be like right yeah what is it and if that happens it happens yeah 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 well oh. rachel it's been such a pleasure to talk to you thank you so much thank for your you time so um so many nuggets of uh of joy and understanding that we've picked up today i mm. think like there's loads yeah. of things that we can be doing ourselves going forward and i'm sure our listeners will get an awful lot out of this conversation so thank you so much mm. and thank permission, you so much for having me. permission to offend where can people buy your book where can people find you on social media and stuff like that the book is where all books are sold amazon barnes and noble all retailers in as well as on audible an audiobook it's also available in spanish um oh, and great. in spanish audio so if anybody speaks spanish and then i love hanging out on instagram i'm at girl confident with a t at the end and since you're already listening to a podcast you might as well subscribe to mine which is also called permission to offend amazing Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Unquestionable. We'd love to hear from you on social media by searching for Unquestionable Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.